For the record, my name is Alexander McKenzie. Um, uh, Shelley, um, would you uh, give your full name to the commission and spell it, please? Hi, I'm Shelley All Overwater. It's S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, and then Overwater, just like it sounds. And, and Shelley, do you swear that the evidence you will give to this commission will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, I do. Thank you. Shelley, uh, you reside in Morden, Manitoba, is yes, that I correct? Yes, I do. And uh, that is quite close to where your parents lived. Yes, they, they lived about a block and a half from me originally. Now my mom lives just down the street. Right, your father is now deceased. Yes, he is. Yes. And you, um, you are a practicing lawyer yourself. Yes, I am. Uh, getting your call in 2011. Yes, I did. And uh, you uh, practice now in Winkler. Yes, I do. With one associate lawyer you met while practicing as a firm that had a firm that had a branch office in Morden and Winkler, but they are now closed. Well, the Winkler office is closed. They still have the other branches. Right. Thank you. And um, you yourself received vaccine in July of 2021? I think that was the second one, I believe. We had, me, my husband, my, my daughter, and my mom all got two each because uh, we thought we were going to get to go to the U.S. for July long weekend, and they weren't mandatory at that point. And we just want, we didn't even think, you know, we trusted that vaccines were safe, so we went and got them. And you had some special concerns about your daughter, Katie, right? Well, we found out after the second shot, which was, by the way, Moderna, um, Katie uh, has epilepsy. My daughter's had epilepsy her whole life, pretty much. Anyways, that night she broke out in such a terrible fever, high fever, that, of course, she seizured through. Uh, so when I talked to the pharmacist who, you know, hadn't mentioned anything about it having, you know, causing fever, um, you know, I said, you know, you should let people with seizure disorders or epilepsy know that these shots could do this. And so she said, oh, yes, I'll, I'll make sure of that. And then she phoned Manitoba Health, and then they phoned my daughter and said that she couldn't have a license, you know, um, because of the seizures, right? So she, you know, basically did nothing except cause Katie some grief. So because, because she got the shot, she lost her... Learners. Well, she had a learner's at that yes. point, but yeah, like, I mean, she'd only had it, you know, because of the epilepsy, she wasn't allowed to drive till she, you know, was older anyways, but okay. uh, yeah, that probably ensured she won't be driving. Okay. Now, now you've, um, you've been involved yourself in a number of the um, citizen, uh, anti-mandate citizen initiatives that the commission has heard about, is that correct? Yes, that's and, correct. And... Um, you were involved in the slow rolls uh, yes. on Highway 75, yes. and you joined the convoy from Portage to Steinbach, that is the trucker's convoy. Yes, I And did. Uh, you have uh, done some pro bono legal work at the Emerson blockade. Yes, yes, I spoke for them initially to the, uh, the RCMP had special negotiators come out. And you spoke to them on yes. behalf of the Emerson people. Yes, yes it is. And, and we may get uh, a time for you to discuss any questions the commissioners may have on those things, but we'll move along from them. No problem. Now, in addition, you represent a number of accused uh, for charges for fines 
relating to COVID mandate breaches. Yes, I, sh I sure do. <laughs> and those are both federal and provincial acts that uh, those. Yes, they are. Um, and, and you're also you're also representing parties um, in a number of uh, uh, litigations, some in the Manitoba Provincial Judges Court, uh, one in the uh, Manitoba King's Bench Court, and another one in the Ontario Supreme Court. Is that correct? Two in Ontario now. Two in Ontario. Yes. Things change. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, now, uh, COVID mandates have also affected you personally, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And um, you uh, want to inform the Commission about several matters, in fact, one relating to your father. Yes. One relating to your own medical care. Yes. And one relating to your employment. Yes. <clears throat> well, starting with your dad, um, your, your dad's name was uh, Patrick Rice, is that That's correct? That's correct, Patrick Rice, yes. Yeah. Uh, and um, at the uh, beginning of uh, COVID, he was, uh, uh, what, 89 years old, was he? Um, well, he, he was 89 and a half when he died. Um, a okay. You know. Uh, and and when did he die? He died we? December 19th, 2020. Okay. And so he, he was... Um, he, can you tell us uh, what his um, physical condition was? Uh, he was in excellent health. He didn't even need glasses or hearing aids. He had all his teeth. Uh, he still drove. He had his downhill ski pass ready to go to La Riviere, to Holiday Mountain, because he still skied. He also was the oldest uh, skydiver in Canada. And that was all at the tender age of 89 years? Yes. Um, in relation to his health, it was known, was it not, that he had an aneurysm? Yes, he did. It had been diagnosed uh, probably around 2015 or so, and they had offered him some kind of uh, surgical procedure, but at his age he decided not to bother, but they told him if it ever went, it would be quick. Like it would, he, he wouldn't probably have time to get to a, a hospital, possibly. I see. And then... Uh, in um, 2020, uh, your father had a rapid tested for COVID, and he had tested positive at the uh, at a Winkler drive-through COVID testing station. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah, him and my mom went. They were recommended by the family doctor to just go check. This would have been about the first of December, maybe. Mm -hmm. And he tested positive. She tested negative. And that was uh, about the uh, beginning of December. Yes, yeah. yes sir. <clears throat> and so, uh, in obeying the rules, uh, I take it your father quarantined himself. Yes, they were told to just go home. Uh, and uh, and how and how are, did he have any symptoms? Not that I recall. He seemed fine. He seemed like Pat always seemed. And. Um, no coughs, no fevers. Not, not that I recall. I mean, he was—he seemed fine, and and when he died, it was, you know, like a, three weeks after he had this test. Okay, okay. So, so he had the test. He was asymptomatic in terms of anything to do yeah. with COVID. So was my mom. He had had an aneurysm in the past. It had been diagnosed. 
And then on December the 19th, uh, can you tell us what happened uh, on that day? I believe it was about five in the morning. My mom phoned and she said, Pat fell and he's mumbling. I said, mom, call the ambulance because she said he wasn't, like he was mumbling, but he wasn't speaking. So I, she called 911 and we got ready to rush over there, me, my husband, and my daughter. And uh, I could hear the ambulance because I lived so close. I could hear they were lost. So I phoned 911 and said, you know, you have to go to blah, blah, blah. When we got there, the ambulance was sitting there with the lights off, and there were two uh, Morden police officers standing in the doorway. And I jumped out of the car, and they said, your dad's gone. And I thought they meant they'd taken him away already, but they, they meant he was deceased. This would have been, well, I, I guess 20 minutes, half hour after my mom first initially called me. So that was about 5.30 in the morning. I would on, say, yeah, I December, believe so. On December 19th. Yes. <clears throat> Um, and, and did you then go into the home, into the house? Into oh, immediately, mom? and yeah. my mom was a mess, obviously. Um, and she was there with the two, I guess, two paramedics, I believe. And then the two officers were in there, and they were asking her questions in her den. I went downstairs. At that point, we went downstairs, and he was still laying there on his back. And there was a little trail of blood to the bathroom door. And so it was obvious he'd gone to the washroom, come out, and he something happened. He fell, must have bashed his arm on his way down. Mom heard the crash, came running. And this is when she said he was like, and then he just died. His breath stopped. So he was dead before the, the, the ambulance even got anywhere near there. He was gone. So I wiped up the blood because I didn't want my mom to see it and I uh, got a quilt to cover him because he was still just laying, you know. Um, so anyways, when I come back upstairs, she was on the phone at some point there later and it was the provincial medical examiner. She was on the phone with a woman telling my mom that it was clearly a COVID-19 death. And at this point, no one had seen him. He had not gone to a doctor. He had not had any outside people look at him. The police weren't taking pictures, like nobody had seen him. And he died in a few minutes. Um, so I just, you know, I, I mean, they, oh, and then she told my mom that she must go that very day and get tested for COVID-19. So later that day, we had to... Did, before you get on oh, to that, if you don't mind. Oh, not at all, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the uh, medical examiner was suggesting to your mother that your father had died of COVID. Yes, no, she insisted, and she uh, said they wouldn't be doing autopsies because they were afraid of getting COVID. So, so, so um, without any more information than that your father had died, uh, they were absolutely not going to do an autopsy. No, no, absolutely not. And, and they were going to say he died everything of you could tell that it was a COVID death. Yes. Despite your father's not having had any COVID symptoms. Not that I was aware of, and he was, he died like it, like 20 minutes. You don't die of a lung ailment in 20 minutes. Yeah. I've and had he, lung ailments. And he had been diagnosed sometime before with an aneurysm. Uh, yes, yes, so, so I assumed it was that or a heart attack. Um, are you aware of how your father's death may have been reported in any local newspaper. Well, yeah, it was on the uh, Pemina Valley online because they were reporting the 
the deaths by, you know, different regions. And they, you know, they would report more than deaths, Winkler, and of course they showed December 19th, you know, one male, 89, died of COVID-19. So, so, so he was reported in the newspaper as yeah. being dead from COVID-19. Well, Pembina Valley Online is like an online news service, but yes, okay. that's where I saw it. So I just thought, well, you know, whatever, right? And I phoned the funeral home um, because he went Saturday morning, the day he died, he went right to the funeral home and I asked uh, the owner if they had taken pictures or he said, absolutely not. They cremated him Monday. So he, he was in the funeral home and he was cremated Monday. And the provincial medical examiner's office phoned my mom again during the week and kept telling her it was COVID-19. And at that point, my mom just gave up on arguing because what, what was she gonna do about it exactly, right? Now, in your work as a lawyer on some of these things that we've mentioned, you've had occasion to see uh, an affidavit that was filed, is that correct? Yes, I, I, um, we're working on, uh, we were working on an appeal for some unnamed clients and uh, some of the evidence in the transcripts was from the, the church's cases you've heard about. One of them was a, a, an affidavit from this Dr. Lepke. Uh, well, a person by the name of Carla Lepke. Yes, yeah. yes, I believe she was yeah. some kind of doctor. And, and uh, for, for the record, that is a document that was filed in a provincial court in Winnipeg in pocket number 558-30. 323, and there are t uh, 10 pockets, 10 provincial court pockets yes. associated with that affidavit. Yes, sir. And, and what did you see in that affidavit as you were doing your work as a lawyer? Well, well there, was, there was, you know, like 40 pages of CV, but then I got to, there was all these COVID-19 deaths in Manitoba, and they were listed individually. So just because I went through them, and of course I get to December 19th, 2020, Morden, Manitoba, one male, COVID-19. And so I realized that, that this person had submitted this as affidavit evidence to the, the court. And, you know, I mean, as a lawyer, I mean, that's a, you, you would never. So, yeah. so what you saw in the affidavit was one death in, in Morden uh, exactly on the day of your father's death. An 89-year-old male, which is... He was yeah. the only death in more than that day. And, and it was put down as COVID. Yes, not COVID related, COVID-19. I see. Was said. And, and insofar as that might be relied upon for developing statistics, yeah. what, what do you think of that? I think that they, they were padding at the very kindest. I'd say they were padding their statistics, but I mean, to me, this was an out and out lie. Okay. And they had no evidence to support that. They didn't even, they didn't even try to get any. In fact, they assiduously avoided getting any. Yeah, that's, that's how it appeared to me. Um, you know, I mean, obviously we're supposed to go to court with evidence, right? So you would just expect that, but apparently not. Okay, thank you, uh, Shelley. Now, <clears throat> quite apart from your dad, would, is there anything else you'd like to add in relation to your father's uh, situation? Um, I can't think of anything other than, I just couldn't believe they would browbeat my elderly widowed mother into trying to get her to accept that. Okay. I was horrified. Thank you. 
Now, quite apart from your dad, as uh, you've mentioned that you've had some medical issues yourself. Yes. And and what is what is that? What uh, sort of medical conditions well, did you I have? Well, I, I have a history of high blood pressure where it like, would shoot up, you know, to like 200 over 110, this kind of thing. Angina, um, chest pains, you know, that kind of stuff. Right? Ever so given any medicines for them? Yeah, I've had nitro and, and whatever over the years, but, you know, my heart's fine, so it's... I felt it was stress-related, probably came in around the time I went to law school. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyways, yes, I have a history of it. Okay. And, and um, in um, early 21, you consulted with a doctor, is that right, a Dr. Mansour? Yes, he was my family doctor, and I was experiencing these again. And he told me that if it happened on the weekend or during the day when he, he couldn't be available, I should go to emergency at Boundary Trails Hospital, which was our local hospital. <clears throat> Pardon me. And in March of uh, 2021, uh, what happened that day? So that morning I felt, you know, my, my chest pains were bad and I was having trouble breathing and I was feeling kind of dizzy. So I drove my truck by myself over to Boundary Trails, and I parked and, you know, walked over to the emerge store, and I went to enter the emergency. Mm -hmm. And a, a uniformed security guard was on inside door, and he started yelling at me to wait outside. Okay, now what, what uh, you, you drove yourself. Yes. You were feeling chest pains. Yes. You drove yourself from your home, uh, which was about three miles, was it, from the yeah. hospital? Yeah. And you arrived there, you, you, I presume you parked your car. Well, I parked my truck, yes. Your truck, pardon me. And, and you walked to the, the front door of the, of the hospital. Well, there's two doors. Emergency door. Yeah, I walked, the far one is emergency. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> and, and what was the weather like that day? It was about probably right between 10 below and zero. It was cold, it was windy, it was gray. You know, it was like one of those prairie fun late winter mornings. And what was the nature of the discussion with the security guard inside the foyer um, behind the doors? What was the nature? Well, he of just yelled at me to wait outside. And I, so I, I, I think, I, I believe I yelled back, but, I, but I'm having chest pains, right? And, and he said, well, you have to wait. Like he yelled, you have to wait. And so I let go of the door, because I, I mean, I was shocked. I didn't know they had security guards at the hospital, for one. So I had to stand there outside, and I'm thinking, well, this is great. If I drop dead, now I'm going to have to lay outside, too. Um, so I was becoming more stressed, obviously. And how long, again, did you stand outside? I think about 10 minutes. It wasn't probably that long, but it's still, it was scary because it's a merge, right? You go there for a reason. Yeah. Uh, finally, he gestured I could go in to the, in between, like, into the two doors, where he stopped me, um, and you know, first I just used the hand sanitizer, and then he handed me a mask with a tong, and I had to sit on a chair with these, um, you know, plexiglass things, like a little, you know, a little cubicle. cubicle. Yeah, and I had to sit there till they said I could uh, uh, sort of uh, distantly approach the lady at the desk with the. She had a big plexiglass and all that too. And so. Um, then um, they 
you went through some sort of reception process, yeah. is that correct? And, and how, how did that go? What did it was it was pretty quick. I said I had chest pains and so on, and I had to put my Manitoba Health on the tray so they wouldn't touch it. And then uh, I had to go sit back down for a few minutes, and then these gowned and covered people came out and said, "We'll take you. We'll take you to the trauma room." And I said, "Well, I can walk in." Um, so I walked into this, you know, it's like a kind of like an operating room, a trauma room, whatever they call it. And, you know, they're behind me. So I walk in and there's like a bed there. So I go over to the bed and I look behind me and they're all in the doorway way far. And they started yelling at me questions. So, so they, they brought you to the room, had you go in, sit on the bed, stood at the door. How were they dressed? They were covered head to foot in those paper gowns and booties and, and masks and and some of them had face shields, and and uh, I think they had gloves, everything, like the whole nine yards, like you, like you were in surgery. Eh? And uh, I was like, okay. And they all stood in the door, and then, you know, this doctor, or these people are yelling, what's your problem, like kind of what are you there for? And so I said, I, I'm having chest pains, I have a history, I have blood pressure, I think I'm having, you know, a, my blood pressure's really shot up, yeah, that kind of thing. And then they, the doctor said he was, he spoke, he, um, he had a very South African accent. It was very dis distinguishing. And uh, he said, well, those could be symptoms of COVID-19. We need to test you. And, and <laughs> I was like, no, I have a history. I don't have COVID-19. I just want someone to check my, you know. And he said, well, no, no, this could be symptoms. And so the, then we, like, it, we, we yelled back and forth about me being tested, and I, I refused. I said, no, I won't be tested. You're not shoving anything up my nose. Uh, you know, I don't have any, I, like, I've, I should mention quickly, I've had pneumonia, I've had two lung infections, I had lung cancer surgery. I know all about lung ailments. And so I was like, kind of. Those are not recent, though. Those are. Well, so, those were prior to when I went in the so, hospital. So, 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 but but th those symptoms that you describe. Well, no. What I'm saying is that I knew I didn't have a lung problem. I knew that, and so for him to keep insisting I needed a COVID test was right, ludicrous. Right. But I'm wanting to make it very clear for the commission that those were not current symptoms. No. No. no not at all. Those Sorry. were in the in the I past. Yes, they were all in the past, but I did have some understanding of what a lung ailment felt like. Yes, yes. I, I, thank you, I understand that. Or a flu, I guess I could say. <clears throat> so how long did this uh, um, standoff go on? I don't know, about, t you know, maybe 10 minutes, and then they said, okay, we'll be back, and then a, a girl came with a tray, you know, like they carried the tray with all the stuff, and I believe she checked my blood pressure, the stethoscope, maybe my oxygen level, and I cannot remember positively right now, but she may have drawn a little blood, I'm not even sure. And then she started asking me about being tested for COVID-19 again. And, and, and so just, just to be clear, so they did, they did test your blood pressure, they did test your no, heartbeat, no. they did do all that, and did they report those results to you right there on the spot? No. No, okay. No. Uh, so then uh, what happened then? Then she left the room and I waited there and then they came, some people, uh, you know, an attendant of some kind, I can't remember clearly, came and said, well, we're going to put you in the recovery area and we'll monitor you for an hour. And uh, I said, okay. So they, I followed them there and they, you know, they put you on a bed and there's curtains all around you. And I think there was like maybe three of us. 
I was struck by how many staff were going around with all their stuff on, and I think I, there was three of us in that place. But So I just laid there. Were you feeling anxious? Did you? Uh, I was scared. I was starting to get worried because like, not only were they not talking about what was happening to me, but they were getting, like he had been really kind of aggressive and ugly about this deal, and I was starting to get nervous. Like, what are they gonna do, hold me down now? Like, you know, I was, I was nervous. So I was trying to force myself to breathe and calm myself because I didn't want them to have any excuse to keep me. Um, so, and then finally, the doctor, uh, you know, with the, you know, because of his accent. I mean, obviously they're covered up, right? But he came in and he said, "Well, you might as well leave now, seeing you refuse to be tested." And did he? Did he? Did he tell you of the results of? the blood pressure test he'd done? No. Did they tell you of the results of the monitoring of your heart or your heartbeat that they'd done? No. Did, did they no. tell you anything about the condition you'd gone in for? No, they told me that uh, uh, they would have liked to have been tested me for surveillance purposes and seeing I was being stubborn, I might as well leave. And I said, you got that right. But you know, I, I was very anxious to get out of there. So I left and went home. And did you ever follow up with your doctor? Yeah, and I and he said he checked me over and yeah, my blood pressure was high and that and he said, you know, blah blah blah. And I said, don't ever send me there again, ever. I said you didn't tell me what it was going to be like, and I will not be tested for something I don't even have. So don't ask me. And that was the end of that. I, I didn't go back to the hospital till I had my knee surgery, as I told you, and that was only because I had to. Okay, uh, thank you, Shelley. Now. I think, um, is there anything else you'd like to say about your uh, adventure at the hospital? <laughs> what can you say, man? Like, I, I, I felt like I had woke up in the middle of George Orwell's 1984, or I was on the gulag. I mean, I was like, this is unbelievable. This is a, this is a hospital. I felt like I was, you know, uh, I don't want to admit I've ever been in a cell, but that's what it felt like. Uh, it was it was very scary, and they were very rude. And uh, that doctor in particular, I mean, he was you know, I mean, he was ugly. Okay, thank you. Okay. Now, um, you've, as we um, as I mentioned earlier, you've also had some experience um, that's COVID related in um, a law office in which you worked. Yes. Um, and that was a. Uh, a uh, satellite office of a larger firm, and that satellite office was in both Morden and Winkler. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, and um, when COVID started, the firm adopted a number of safety measures. Can you tell me what they were? Well, we had to, you know, obviously the hand sanitizer, the masks, the um, plexiglass in the reception area. Initially, they wanted to meet the clients between the two doors at a little table that they had to sanitize every 10 minutes, I think. And, and we had to wipe down parcels and Lysol all the desks between each use and this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and how many people worked in, in these offices at those two locations, Morden and Winkler? Uh, you know, I'd say there was roughly, like, there was two or three lawyers on any given day, and there would have been five or six clerical staff. But, you know, we all kind of went around, like, not all the clerical staff, but the lawyers, you know, we circulated from, uh, to different offices sometimes, depending on what was going on. And so how many people 
altogether would circulate through those offices in a week or two weeks? Oh, I don't know, maybe a dozen or so. And then we got an articling student that mm -hmm. ended up being at the Morden office, I should mention. <clears throat> and did anyone, was anyone um, ill during that time? Well, um, because of my uh, father's death, I had missed the two weeks over Christmas because they said that we had to quarantine. Because he had been a, co a COVID death. Well, so, uh, Recorded yeah. as that. So yeah. he, and, and so the firm, I mean, I would have got bereavement anyways, and it was the holidays. We were closed a bunch of days. So, yeah, I was off for the two weeks. Then we had another girl. She had the two-week quarantine because she was sick for a week, and then a lawyer who had a cough, and she... Uh, was off for two weeks because of the mandated quarantine. <clears throat> that was in the entire time I worked there. Okay. And, and um, then in, in May of uh, 2021, there were some changes in uh, policy. Yes. Is that correct? And what were those? Well, at that point, the uh, managing partner and the other partner and the manager um, decided to, uh, they were going to have to know the vaccination status of all the, the clerical staff and the articling student. And if they wouldn't come, like, you know, um, if they weren't going to, you know, discuss it. Dis they had to disclose their vaccination yes, status. It, it was mandatory, yes. Uh, I see. And, and um, how did that go down with the staff? Well, I, I mean, it went down very badly because, you know, I, you know, I sent an email like, a, you know, to the lawyers and said, you know, what about, you know, <laughs> you know, like employment standards and the charter and all those things. And, uh, and then there was uh, one young girl, 20 years old, who was our reception girl, just a dear little girl who'd worked there two years. And she said, well, I refuse to put that in my body, and no one's going to force me, not even for a job. And that was the first time I'd ever heard somebody say that. I was quite taken by it because she was such a young, nice uh, girl. Um, and then one of the clerical staff, whom I'm actually friends with and had been there three years, she uh, disclosed that she hadn't been vaccinated. They asked the articling student who they had hired and couldn't say enough nice things about and she said, are you asking me if I have COVID antibodies in my system? And when they said, no, we want to know your, your vaccination status. And she said, well, I don't know that you have the right to ask me. Well, at that point, all heck broke loose, so to speak. And, and were there any inter-office communications, like um, emails? Day, uh, just, yeah. What, sort of, what there, sort of was the office buzz? Well, we had a group time? email deal. So, you know, that's where everybody, lawyers and staff in all the offices, and it started this daily almost barrage of, well, I know someone who's sick with COVID, and can you believe how selfish these people are, and these unvaccinated, and, you know, the whole, you know, the common good, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this went on and on. And in the meantime, they, uh, all the staff from the other offices would drop the files off outside the back door and yell in the office because they couldn't come in because the unvaccinated were there. And they were allowed to pick on the articling student. Um, you know, everybody was mocking her and, you know, making fun. And then they decided she couldn't do any real law work because she was obviously, you know. So what I, did they have her do? They had her do real estate reports. That's all she was allowed to do. She had to sit in the back with the clerical staff and do real estate and had, you know, probably every couple of days she was yelled at by the partners and so on. 
uh, she wasn't allowed to come to the lawyer meetings, but from June on, uh, the lawyer meetings became like me battling, uh, you know, because I couldn't believe they were going to hold someone's career hostage, because if they fired her in the middle of her articles, it's pretty hard to get a job, right? Mm -hmm. And she'd been in school for seven full years for this deal, and, and these other girls, I, I just could not believe people would take someone's livelihood like that. I was, I was shocked. It had never occurred to me that they would mandate this stuff and force these vaccines. Like, I didn't understand that that could happen. And, and uh, I understand that at some point in October, there was an ultimatum. Yeah, well, the, the managing partner had told, like, he had told me he, he would let her finish her articles. This would have been, like, let's say, the, you know, middle of October. So he comes in, this is about, yeah, the end of October, he comes in to the Morden office and he asked me and the other lawyer in, into my office and he sat down and he said, I just walked by them and I'd fire them all today if I could. And I went, well, that's no surprise, right? Like, tell me something I don't know, you know. Um, but anyways, and he said, and I've made a decision. If they won't get vaccinated by November 19th, they're fired. And he said, and, and then he started, you know, tapping the desk and he goes, and I've decided even the lawyers will have to submit proof. So at that point, I kind of lost my cool and I said, well, I gave you my word I was vaccinated because I'm not like you. I keep my word. But I thought, it, you know, and he said, well, you still have to show proof. I said, I'm not showing you anything. I said, you can put me down as resigning on November 19th because I will not stay here then. I will go with the people you're firing. So the next day, Fomi goes, oh, hey, was that serious? <laughs> and I was kind of shocked at that. And I said, yes, I'm very serious. So I sent him my resignation letter, and, and that was that. And off we went. <clears throat> and, and, and what did ahead. happen to the article student? Well, what happened was we found a lawyer, another local lawyer, who was, you know, he had enough, he just had three years in, and so he was allowed to finish her articles. So she went over there. And what um, did you do? Well, I, I, I went home in shock because I went, what am I going to do? But anyways, I, uh, they were leaving the Winkler building they were in. I knew that. They hated Winkler. So I phoned the owner of the Winkler building and said, hey, how about renting to a different lawyer? So I rented an office for January 1. Um, but I, uh, I ended up having uh, a knee replacement, so I didn't actually start till later. In the meantime, the articling student finished her articles, and the lawyer said he wouldn't keep her. So she came over and she said, would you consider working with me? I said, right, I'm partner. So she's uh, my partner in our little firm. And we got another office. We were able to rent. So we have, two, you know, like an office each in, in Winkler. <clears throat> Is there anything else that I've missed relating to your employment uh, situation? Well, I, I just wanted to, to say I was like we were a law like we were law firms and we were essential workers and no, no provincial health people ever walked into any law office out there. They didn't and they weren't going to. And I understood that, you know, we had to, you know, do whatever in the hallways or in front of clients that were nervous. I get that. But we never, ever had a policy of asking clients if they were vaccinated or anything. It was just the, the, the people that worked there. But we'd all been there the whole time, and, and it was fine. Um, and I couldn't believe. And by then, we already knew that people were still getting COVID-19 even with the vaccine. So there was no real reason other than, I don't know, they just got in a mood. I don't even know what to say. Um, I was horrified. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it.
I mean, the Supreme Court has said, oh, your livelihood is, you know, integral part of, you know, yada, yada, you're right. So you believe that when you're in law school. Apparently, it doesn't apply uh, lately. Anyhow. Okay. Thank you very much. Now, um, just a couple other small things. You and your mother both volunteered at um, a couple of um, home for aging people in yes. um, Winkler and Steinbeck. Winkler and Morton. There's Tabor Home and Morton and Salem Home and Winkler, and we volunteered at both. Okay. And um, do you still volunteer there? No. They uh, When the lockdowns hit, of course, we weren't allowed to go there, but after... I mean, during the time, they got rid of a bunch of their staff, of course. Uh, and so when it was, you know, they wanted volunteers to come back, they contacted us, and we just said, no, we can't in good conscience volunteer for a place that would just dump their employees for no good reason. So we never did go back. So the employees that they, uh, in your words, dumped were not ones who were infected. They were ones who would not vaccinate. Is that correct? Right. And and some of them, you know, were willing to do the testing. I think they wanted three a week or I, I can't remember. I mean, it was just, to me, it was all nonsensical. The one place uh, said after it was all said and done that if people gave a letter of apology, they might consider hiring them back. Um, yeah, go figure, eh? And, and yeah, I know. <laughs> And Shelley, from your work as a lawyer in these matters that I mentioned earlier, have you had occasion to consider the any statistics relating to the fines and and um, that have been imposed on people in Manitoba? And just, I believe you did have something on that. Yes, uh, the, the the Manitoba government, between the Federal Quarantine Act and the Provincial Health Act. They fined over nine million dollars, uh, as of, you know, lately. And uh, now I'm not saying they've collected. I'm just saying this is what it is. Five million of it is just the federal quarantine act. And what that was, is uh, when the mandate came in in January at the border, um, the United States border people had discretion. So some unvaccinated people were still allowed to go into the U.S. Well, when they came back. If they presented at the Canadian border, the screening technology was, are you vaccinated? And of course, if you said no, you got an $8,550 ticket. If you didn't answer, you got the $8,550 ticket and a $1,453 ticket. Um, and so I'm dealing with, uh, I don't know, I think it's, I've got about 25, 26 of these were challenging. Um, but but these are none of these people were symptomatic. None of them had priors. Some of them got tickets as late as last fall, okay, September of this last year. And what what was the condition of uh, what were the mandates when those tickets were being issued? Uh, well, the the border mandate, yeah. because but, they were Canadian uh, citizens entering Canada and they didn't have a vaccine, or they didn't have the Rive Can, or. Um, I'm sorry, the, uh, the PCR test. So it didn't matter. Whatever it was, you were getting an $8,550 ticket. Um, so that's that's what happened. And it didn't matter if it was, you know, all my clients have no priors. Um, they were all working citizens. What um, sort of jobs do they hold typically? <laughs> You're never going to guess. Most of them are truck drivers. Uh, some of them are farm laborers. Um, and then, uh, interesting, I had a couple of clients that were actually vaccinated and they got tickets because 
they didn't have the PCR results because they couldn't wait that long for them. Um, so they made the mistake of saying, but we have this, and they showed the Charter of Rights, and so they were given $8,550 tickets each and, for, for showing the Charter, basically. And, th and this may be a dangerous and last question but uh, from me in any event, but um, how do you feel about the way these things were handled both provincially and federally? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to ask, really. No, um, I, I, I'm absolutely appalled. It's like the Canada, like, and I'm old, right? And the Canada I grew up in, I mean, this is not the Canada I live in today. I didn't buy into this. None of us did. And it was like they ripped away the veil and said, ha-ha, you think you have freedoms and uh, rights and all that. You got nothing. And I've never been so ashamed of of. of I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you, I've been a separatist for a long time anyways, but, but I've never been so ashamed of this country as I was when I saw them in Ottawa bludgeoning working people like normal, everyday taxpayers. Uh, I'll never forget it. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm, Shelley, uh, I'm going to ask the commissioners if they have any questions for you. No, thank you. Thank you very much for attending. Thank you.